Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Tonight, I will be reading Bedtime Stories from the Sandman's Hour by Abby Phillips Walker. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. The Disorderly Girl Louise was just going out of the door with her sled when her mother called to her. Louise hesitated, 
for she knew that her mother was calling her to make her playroom tidy, and she wanted to go coasting with the other children. She went back slowly and asked, What is it, mother? Your playroom must be put in order before you can go out to play, her mother replied. You've had plenty of time this week to do it, but you've neglected it, and now you cannot put it off another day. Why can't Jane do it? asked Louise. Jane will clean the room, her mother replied, but it is your duty to pick up the toys and books that are strewn around. Louise pouted, but she knew that she must do as her mother said, and she took off her hat and coat and went up to her playroom. She went in and closed the door. It certainly was a very disorderly-looking room. Books were on the floor and games were on the table. Dull clothes were strewn in all parts of the room. Louise had picked up most of the things when she saw, from the window, her little friend Clara passing the house. Clara, she called, wait for me. I have to put my playroom in order before I can go coasting. But Clara did not wait. Louise closed the window, threw herself on the couch and began to cry, saying she thought it was mean everybody was going coasting but her. All at once, she saw two little girls walking toward her. They looked just like her dolls, Bella and Emily, only they were as large as herself. Louise tried to get up, but she was unable to move. Let us undress her, said Bella Doll, coming over to Louise and lifting her by one arm. Yes, said Emily Doll, and comb her hair. Then Louise knew what had happened. She had turned into a doll, and the dolls had become little girls. The doll girls undressed Louise and put on her nightdress, pulling it over her head in the most careless manner, Louise thought. Then they combed her hair, pulling it terribly. I wonder how she likes to have her hair pulled, said Bella Doll. She knows how it feels now, said Emily. I think she'd better go out, said Bella Doll, instead of going to bed. And they dressed her in a thin white dress. Now we will take her out in the cold. That is the way she does with us. They fastened her clothes with pins and pushed them right through her body. And after she was dressed, they changed their minds about taking her out and threw her on the floor and began playing games. I wonder if they're going to leave me here, thought Louise. Someone will be sure to step on me. Just then, she saw a teddy bear lying on his side under the couch. Why are you under there? Louise asked. The little girl who was playing with me dropped me at the back of the couch a week ago, he said, and I have been here ever since. And you will probably remain on the floor where you are now, for she never picks up her toys. She's a very careless girl. Louise did not reply, for just then, Emily Dole came over to the couch for a book and pushed Louise out of the way with her foot. Bella Dole set out a croquet set, and one of the balls hit Louise on the head. Then Emily dropped her book and said, Come along, Bella, let us go outdoors. Louise watched them as they went out. Oh, this is the way she always leaves her room, said Teddy Bear, for he could not see from under the couch there were two little girls, and thought it was Louise who went out of the door. She never thinks of us, the teddy bear continued, or how uncomfortable we may be, 
for she is a very careless and untidy girl. The door opened and Bella Doll came in. She went over to the couch for her hat, and Louise saw her foot over her head. She will break me if she steps on me, cried poor Louise, and she jumped up as she cried aloud. There she was on the couch. She had been asleep. She got up and finished her work, when suddenly she thought of the teddy bear and looked under the couch. There he was on his side, just as she had seen him in her dream. Louise picked him up and set him in a chair. Then she looked at Bella's clothes to make sure there were no pins pricking her. And after looking at Emily, also, she put both of them in a comfortable place. Her books were put on a shelf, and she resolved never again to let her room get so untidy, or to let her dolls or a teddy bear suffer from neglect. Perhaps they do feel things, she said. Anyway, I'll be sure not to hurt them or let them be in uncomfortable positions, for I was very miserable lying on the floor, thinking I might be stepped on. The Poppies A long distance from here, in a far eastern country, there once lived a very rich king. All kings are not rich, you know, but this one was, and his jewels were the most beautiful ever seen. But this king dearly loved all the good things of this world and gave feasts and dances that lasted for days without anyone sleeping. Of course, he could not lead such a life as that and have good health. And at last, there came a time when the king could not sleep. At last, he offered a reward to anyone who could put him to sleep, no matter how it was accomplished. He said to the one who could do this, he would give half his kingdom. The poor king was the subject for many experiments, and when he had almost given up hope of ever sleeping again, there came a strange-looking man to the gate of the castle. He wore a turban and a long, flowing robe of white, and wore around his neck many chains and strings of strange-looking beads. I can make the king sleep, he said, but I must be allowed to have the grounds of the castle to myself, and the king must obey me in every way. The king was ready to do anything, and so the strange-looking man began his work. But before he would do anything for the king, he insisted upon having half the kingdom given into his hands. And when this was done, he set to work. No one was allowed to be near him, and the king was left alone in the castle with him. One morning, not long after, the king saw what looked to be a sea of green all around the castle but it really was a bed of green leaves, and soon there appeared white flowers among the leaves, and then the strange man told the king to walk among them. Soon the king felt a drowsy feeling stealing over him, and he sat down in the midst of the sea of green, and in a few minutes he was sound asleep. Then the strange man began to repeat something in a sing-song tone and wave his hands over the sleeping king. He walked among the flowers and leaves, repeating his strange rhyme, and the leaves and flowers grew taller and taller until the king could not be seen, and the man moved away still chanting, Poppy, poppy, flower of sleep, your drowsy spell around him keep, for I can all his kingdom take if you do not let him wake. The poppies grew until they reached the top of the castle, 
and everyone who went near to look for the king fell under the spell of their strange power until the people around gave it up and the strange man became king. He built a new castle and the old one was forgotten. All went well with the new king until a young man called at his castle and asked him about the old king, and the servants told him how the strange flowers had grown around the castle and no one could go near, and that everyone thought that the old king was dead. The new king, when he heard that the stranger was asking for the old king, had him driven from the castle. Tell your master, said the stranger to the servants, that he will hear from me again. The stranger went into the woods where there lived an old witch, and at midnight they came out and went to the castle among the strange flowers. The witch held her hands high over her head and waved to them up and down, saying all the time, Poppy, poppy, sleepy flower, now I have you in my power. I would have you shorter grow until the sleeping one you show. Down came the tall flowers and bushes until the young man cried out, Here he is, and then the flowers ceased to grow small. The witch knelt beside the sleeping king and whispered in his ear, Awake, good king, tis break of day, and drive the false king far away. The king opened his eyes and looked at the witch and the young man beside her. What has happened? he asked. I will leave you to tell him, said the witch. The sun is up and I must go. When you offered to give half your kingdom to the one who could make you sleep, said the young man, I set out for your castle with a box which contained a strange flower that had the power to make people sleep, but it had to be used with the greatest care, and I alone knew the secret of using it, for it was given to my grandmother by an old witch doctor. Before I could reach you, I was overtaken by a band of robbers in the box stolen. They made me tell what I intended doing with the flower on pain of death, but I did not tell the whole secret. Then they put me in a cave and rolled a stone in front of it, too heavy for me to move, and left. I was almost dead from starvation when I was found by some peasants who nursed me until I was well enough to travel, when I hurried here, only to find that one of the band of robbers had taken your whole kingdom after putting you to sleep with the charmed flower. He drove me from the castle when he heard that I was asking for you, and if it had not been for the witch who lives in the wood, I should not have been able to awaken you. She knew the secret, as she is the daughter of the witch who gave the flower to my grandmother. When the king heard the strange story, he hurried with the young man to the castle where the robber king lived. He was asleep when they arrived, and the servants, who did not like their new master, ran out to meet the old king. And when they heard what had happened, they went back to the castle and bound the robber while he slept. And when he awoke, he was so frightened that he promised to tell where the rest of his band could be found if they would spare his life. This they promised to do, and the country was rid of these bad men, for they were put on a ship and made to work the rest of their lives. The king was so grateful to the young man who rescued him that he made him his heir. And when the king died, he left him his kingdom. Hilda's Mermaid. Little Hilda's father was a sailor and went away on long voyages. Hilda lived in a little cottage on the shore 
and used to spin and knit while her father was away, for her mother was dead and she had to be the housekeeper. Some days she would go out in her boat and fish, for Hilda was fond of the water. She was born and had always lived on the shore. When the water was very calm, Hilda would look down into the blue depths and try to see a mermaid. She was very anxious to see one. She had heard her father tell such wonderful stories about them, how they sang and combed their beautiful long hair. One night, when the wind was blowing and the rain was beating hard upon her window, Hilda could hear the horn warning the sailors off the rocks. Hilda lighted her father's big lantern and ran down to the shore and hung it on the mast of a wreck which lay there so the sailors would not run their ships upon it. Little Hilda was not afraid, for she had seen many such storms. When she returned to her cottage, she found the door was unlatched, but thought the wind had blown it open. When she entered, she found a little girl with beautiful hair sitting on the floor. She was a little frightened at first. The girl wore a green dress, and it was wound round her body in the strangest manner. I saw your light, said the child, and came in. The wind blew me far up on the shore. I should not have come up on a night like this, but a big wave looked so tempting. I thought I would jump on it and have a nice ride. But it was nearer the shore than I thought it, and it landed me right near your door. Oh my, how Hilda's heart beat, for she knew this child must be a mermaid. Then she saw what she had thought a green dress was really her body and a tail curled up on the floor and it was beautiful as the lamp fell upon it and made it glisten. Will you have some of my supper? asked Hilda, for she wanted to be hospitable, although she had not the least idea what mermaids ate. Thank you, answered the mermaid. I'm not very hungry, but if you could give me a seaweed sandwich, I should like it. Hilda did not know what to do, but she went to the closet and brought out some bread, which she spread with nice fresh butter and filled a glass with milk. She told her she was sorry, but she did not have any seaweed sandwiches, but she hoped she would like what she had prepared. The little mermaid ate it, and Hilda was pleased. Do you live here all the time? she asked Hilda. I should think you would be very warm and want to be in the water part of the time. Hilda told her she could not live in the water as she did, because her body was not like hers. Oh, I am sorry, replied the mermaid. I hoped you would visit me sometime. We have such good times, my sisters and I, under the sea. Tell me about your home, said Hilda. Come and sit beside me and I will, she replied. Hilda sat upon the floor by her side. The mermaid felt Hilda's clothes and thought it must be a bother to have so many clothes. How can you swim? she asked. Hilda told her she put on a bathing suit, but the mermaid thought that a nuisance. I will tell you about our house first, she began. Our father, Neptune, lives in a beautiful castle at the bottom of the sea. It is built of mother of pearl. All around the castle grow beautiful green things and it has fine white sand around it also. All my sisters live there, and we are always glad to get home after we have been at the top of the ocean. It is so nice and cool in our home. The wind never blows there, 
and the rain does not reach us. You do not mind being wet by the rain, do you? asked Hilda. Oh no, said the mermaid, but the rain hurts us. It falls in little sharp points and feels like pebbles. How do you know how pebbles feel? Hilda asked. Oh, sometimes the nereids come and bother us. They throw pebbles and stir up the water so we cannot see. Who are the nereids? They are the sea nymphs, but we make the dogfish drive them away. We are sirens, and they are very jealous of us because we are more beautiful than they, said the mermaid. Hilda thought she was rather conceited, but the little mermaid seemed to be quite unconscious she had conveyed that impression. How do you find your way home after you've been at the top of the ocean? asked Hilda. When Father Neptune counts us and finds any missing, he sends a whale to spout. Sometimes he sends more than one, and we know where to dive when we see it. What do you eat besides seaweed sandwiches? Fish eggs and very little fish, answered the mermaid. When we have a party, we have cake. Hilda opened her eyes. Where do you get cake? she asked. We make it. We grind coral into flour and mix it with fish eggs. Then we put it in a shell and send a mermaid to the top of the ocean with it and she holds it in the sun until it bakes. We go to the Gulf Stream and gather grapes and we have sea foam and lemonade to drink. Lemonade, said Hilda. Where do you get your lemons? Why the sea lemon, replied the mermaid. That is a small mussel fish the colour of a lemon. What do you do at your parties? You cannot dance, said Hilda. We swim to the music, circle round, and dive and glide. But the music, where do you get musicians? Hilda continued. We have plenty of music, replied the mermaid. The sea elephant trumpets for us. Then there is the pipe fish. The swordfish runs the scales of the sea adder with his sword. The seashells blob. And altogether we have splendid music. But it is late, and we must not talk any more. So the little mermaid curled herself up, and soon they were asleep. The sun shining in the window awakened Hilda next morning, and she looked about her. The mermaid was not there, but Hilda was sure it had not been a dream, for she found pieces of seaweed on the floor, and every time she goes out in her boat, she looks for her friend, and when the whales spout, she knows they are telling the mermaids to come home. Why the Morning Glory Sleeps One day the flowers got into a very angry discussion over the sun, of whom they were very fond. Surely you all must know that he loves me best, said the rose. He shines upon me and makes me sweeter than any of you, and he gives me the colours that are most admired by man. I do not see how you can say that, said the dahlia. You may give forth more fragrance than I can, but you cannot think for a second that you are more beautiful. Why, my colours are richer than yours and last much longer. The sun certainly loves me the best. The modest lily looked at the dahlia and said in a low, sweet voice, I do not wish to be bold, but I feel that the sun loves me and that I should let you know that he gives to me more fragrance than to any of you. Oh, hair lily, said the others in chorus. 
She thinks the king of the day loves her best. The lily hung her head and said no more, for the other flowers quite frightened her with their taunts. How can any of you think you are the best beloved of the sun, said Golden Glow, when you behold my glowing color which the sun bestows on me? Do any of you look so much like him as I do? No, indeed, he loves me best. The hollyhock looked down on the others with pitying glances. It is plain to be seen that you have never noticed that the sun shines on me with more warmth than on you. And now I must tell you he loves me best and gives me the tenderest of his smiles. See how tall I am and how gorgeous are my colors. He loves me best. When it comes to sweetness, I am sure you have forgotten me, said the honeysuckle. Why the king of the day loves me best, you may be sure. He makes me give forth more sweetness than any of you. You may be very sweet, said the pansy, but surely you know that my pet name is Heart's Ease and that the sun loves me best. To none of you does he give such velvet beauty as to me. I am nearest to his heart and his best beloved. The morning glory listened to all of this with envy in her heart. She did not give forth sweetness as many of the others. Neither did she possess the beauty of the rose or the pansy. If only I could get him to notice me, she thought. I am dainty and frail, and I am sure he would admire me if only he could behold me. But the others are always here, and in such glowing colours, the poor little me is overshadowed by their beauty. All day, Morning Glory thought of the sun and wondered how she could attract his attention to herself. And at night she smiled, for she had thought of a plan. She would get up early in the morning and greet him before the other flowers were awake. She went to bed early that night so that she might not oversleep in the morning, and when the first streak of dawn showed in the sky, Morning Glory opened her eyes and shook out her delicate folds. The dew was on her, and she turned her face toward the sun. As soon as she peeped into the garden, the sun beheld her. How dainty and lovely you are, he said. I have never noticed before the beauty of your colors, Morning Glory and he let his warm glances fall and linger upon her. The sunflower, all this time, was watching with jealous eyes, for she was the one who had always welcomed the sun, and this morning he seemed to have entirely forgotten her. Still, sunflower kept her gaze upon them, and wondered what she could do to win back her king from the delicate little morning glory. But as she looked, she saw the morning glory sway and nod her head. She's going to sleep said the sunflower. His warm breath makes her drowsy, or else she was up so early that she cannot keep awake. While the sunflower watched, sure enough, the morning glory nodded and closed her eyes. She was fast asleep, and the fickle sun, seeing that she no longer looked upon him, looked away and beheld the sunflower, looking toward him with longing eyes. Good morning, king, she said, as she caught his eye and she was wise enough not to let him know she had seen him before. So the sun smiled and turned his face upon them all, and the sunflower kept to herself what she had seen, knowing full well that she was the one who knew best how to keep his first and last glances. A little later, one of the flowers called out, Look at morning glory, she's still sleeping. Let us tell her it is time to awaken. 
Morning glory, morning glory, they called, but she did not answer. She was sound asleep. That is strange, said the rose. After two or three mornings, the other flowers ceased to notice morning glory, for they thought she'd ceased to be one of them. But the wise sunflower kept her own counsel. She knew that morning glory had to sleep all day in order that she might not miss the sun. But, as I told you, she was wise enough not to complain, and she kept his love for her by doing so. The Shoemaker Rat One day, a rat gnawed his way into a pantry, and after he'd eaten all he wanted, he grew bold and went into the kitchen. There the cook saw him and chased him with a broom, but not being able to hit him as he ran out of the door, she picked up a pair of shoes that were standing near and threw them after him. The rat picked them up and put them on. On his way home, he met a cat. What have you on your feet? he asked the rat. Can you not see, my dear Tom? said the rat. They are shoes. I am a shoemaker and, of course, must wear my own product. Make me a pair, said the cat, and I will spare your life. Very well, replied the rat. But first, you must bring me some leather. So the cat ran away and brought back two hides. When the rat saw the amount of leather, he was struck with an idea. My dear Tom, he said, I can make you a suit of clothes and a pair of gloves as well as the shoes, and you will be the envy of all the other cats. Tom was delighted and told the rat to hurry and make the outfit. The wise rat first made the gloves and covered Tom's sharp claws. Then he made the shoes for the hind feet, and when he had done that, he felt safe. Now you must wait, he said, until I get something which I can fasten the coat. He ran away and returned with some long, sharp thorns. Next, the rat put the leather around Tom's body and drew it tight, fastening it with a thorn, which he pushed so that the sharp point pricked Tom. What are you doing? asked Tom angry at being hurt, but he could not move. The leather costume was so stiff and tight, but he grabbed the rat with his mouth and caught him by the tail. The rat ran, leaving his tail in Tom's mouth. I'll know you, Tom called after him. When I am out of this suit, I will catch you and eat you. The rat had not thought of that, and he wondered what he should do. But he was a wise old fellow, and when he reached home, he called all his brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts about him. I met a cat today, he said, who had been to the city where all the styles are new, and he told me that all the city rats are having their tails cut off, so I had mine done. If you want to be in style, he told them, you must have your tails like mine. Does it hurt? asked one. Not a bit, answered the sly fellow, and you have no idea how comfortable it is running about without a tail to look after. It is very expensive to have it cut, he explained. That is the only difficult part. I had to pay twenty pieces of cheese. But I watched while another fellow was having his cut, and I am sure I can do it as well as the rat that did mine. And if you wish to be in style, at a very low rate, I will take off your tails for five pieces of cheese each. The rats all agreed and ran away to get the cheese and while they were gone, the wise rat ran for a chopping knife. Soon, he had the tails cut and a goodly store of cheese. 
Now, he said to himself, Tom will never know me from the other rats. He kept his eyes open for Tom, who'd called his friends to help him out of his suit, and told him to watch for a rat without a tail. When they saw all the tailless rats, they gave up, looking for one, who'd put Tom into the suit of leather. And Tom, not liking to hunt any too well, gave it up also. But the next time I meet a rat, said Tom, I will catch him, no matter whether he has a tail or not. Good night. <laughs>